You've got to love Luke chapter 9. It's just great. And when you're doing the lectionary and you kind of uh, come to it and you turn it up, you think, oh, yes, this will be one that we can uh, get ourselves through. Just to get you towards uh, the transfiguration that um, uh, Junpat read to us a little bit earlier, let's remember just what happened before it. Because we find ourselves here in that wonderful place where Jesus is uh, teaching his disciples to pray. And um, they have this moment with him where uh, he says to them, who do the crowds say that I am? You've heard me doing this before, but who do the crowds say that I am? And they come up with a few ideas of who the crowds might say that they are. And then he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? It's a really powerful question in the midst of the gospel stories. The question for all of us this morning. Yet the people at work, yet the media, yet all kinds of books out there will tell you what they think or who they think Jesus is. And God might say, what are people saying about me? Jesus, if he was here, he might say, what are they saying? Who do they say that I am? But then he cuts through all that and he says, actually, you can do nothing about what they all think about who I am. You. Who do you say that I am this morning in Fitzroy? And how does that impact? If we get to the end of the chapter, we would find ourselves in that verse that started our narrative uh, journeys last uh, week in Luke, um, or last year when we went through Lent. We went through those travel narratives where Jesus is traveling from almost this point where he is now to Jerusalem and beyond. Verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Interesting here that Desi pointed out to us last week that it's as the time approached for him to be taken up. And I wonder if you noticed in our reading today that it was about his departure, that they were talking about not the cross at that stage. So in between this, who do you say that I am, and Jesus setting out resolutely for Jerusalem, we have these two interesting stories again side by side. The transfiguration story, where Jesus goes up onto a mountain, and again, if we've been following through some of the teaching in Fitzroy over the last year, particularly by Desi, in the evenings when he was taking us through those earlier books of the Bible, we learned, did we not, in the Old Testament, that when you're on the mountain, that's the place where they felt that God resided. So Jesus has taken them up onto this mountain, and sure enough, he's transfigured in their midst. Coming out of that moment when he was asking them, who do you say that I am? There must have been something in this moment that kind of confirmed to them as God speaks in, this is my son, son whom I have chosen, listen to him. As Peter's running around trying to do something with the branding of this particular moment, God cuts through Peter and says, Jesus, this is who it's about. Who did you say that he was? This is who I'm saying that he was. And this is going to make a difference. And we could go into all of that quite lengthily. But one of the commentators that I was reading about this week took us seamlessly into our new project of a hundred days prayer for a hundred years of history. Because one of the details that Luke mentions that the other gospel writers don't mention is that this is all about prayer. That Jesus is in prayer. That prayer has a key part 
in many of Luke's stories. Following his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus while he's praying in chapter 3. Jesus selects the 12 apostles after a night in prayer, chapter 6. Peter's confession of Jesus that we've just mentioned in chapter 9 is in the context of prayer. In Gethsemane, Jesus is in prayer. On the cross, he's talking to God in some whatever way, not using megaphones or iPhones or whatever else. Prayer for Luke is really quite crucial. And prayer is involved at all the times of dramatic encounter of God's presence through the gospel. And not only through the gospel, because if we remember back to a few years ago when we read the whole of the New Testament together as a community, and we did it in uh, the sequence that it was written rather than in the sequence we have it, we moved from Luke straight into the Acts of the Apostles because Luke follows up his gospel with that book of the Acts of the Apostles, and we find even in there that most of the significant events that happen are in prayer. Gathered early church experiences dramatic divine response in communal prayer in chapter 4. The centurion Cornelius' prayers result in an angel being sent. Paul and Silas are freed from prison by God while people are praying. Paul experiences an encounter with the risen Christ while praying. Prayer for Luke is incredibly important. And so you can see why I would be drawn to that, particularly as we start this Lenten and Beyond series of 100 Days Prayer for 100 Years of History. Prayer. I've thought and wrestled a lot with what prayer is. Have we all not struggled with it? I've wrestled in prayer about what prayer is. What am I doing? What do I want God to do? What should I expect in the answers? Are the answers the most important thing? Or is something deeper than a prayer list, diaried and ticked off, supposedly happening in prayer? Is it just naming all the names at the side of the bed when you're a kid that you know and God bless them? Is it just going around the world and praying for all the missionaries that you know when you grow up? Is it just praying for peace to come? Or is there something more happening? I think as we look at Luke chapter 9, we find that prayer and dramatic encounters with God in prayer never stay in the dramatic encounter, but always come down off the mountain and into the actions of what goes on around us. The next day, the next day, Luke says, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. And a man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. The spirit seizes him, and he, can, he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely, ever leaves, it scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive them out, but they could not. From this moment of transfiguration, from this moment of transcendence and otherworldliness, from this moment where we find out who God is at the top of the mountain in the presence of God, suddenly we're aware immediately in Luke's account that this all happens in the midst of a broken world where there are broken people and God wants to bring healing for the past and honor for the present and hope for the future 
for that broken world. Jesus gets quite angry here. You unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Is that because Peter, who was so keen to build stuff up the mountain, wasn't able to follow Jesus into the healing that was going on? Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, gave him back to his father, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Whatever happens to us in prayer, whatever happens to us when we're on our knees or we're in the presence of God, or when some of my experiences of the presence of God in prayer weren't when I intentionally sat down to pray. They were in situations where I'm communicating with God in a much more ordinary, organic kind of way than that. But when they happen, they happen so that we might be those who are able to go into a broken world and bring healing and honor and hope. So a hundred days prayer for a hundred years of history, I was involved in the beginning of that discussion, actually in the Mia's prison. Many of us gathered around to think of things that we could do for our country and out of that so far this is the biggest project that has happened there may be others and when people around the table talking about a hundred days of prayer for a hundred years of history I'll be honest with you and confess before you as your minister I was slightly cynical I was thinking is this the easy approach we'll get together for a hundred days and we'll pray that God does the healing and the honoring and the bringing of hope. I'm always cynical about prayer that leaves stuff with God and doesn't get involved in what God wants to do through us in the prayer in our world. Over all those years of the troubles, were there not more prayers prayed in this little piece of land than anywhere else in the entire world? And yet many times those prayers weren't answered. Now, if we stop for a moment now and look back, when we see what happens at the Four Corners Festival and think about the photographs I took just out here when Ken was trying to get people in a room here to talk and they were picketing outside and they were marching up and down and they were giving grief to the people trying to get into this church. When I think of what we did at Four Corners, when I think of 24-7 prayer and EA having the launch of their prayer in Clonard and not one person outside picketing it, you know that we live in a different day than we lived in. So we could say that prayer was very much answered through those years. But there was many times when we would have quoted that Verse in Chronicles, if my people call by my name will um, seek my face and humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways. Uh, we always concentrate on the prayer part of it. We were never so keen to be involved in prayer in such a way that it might cause us to humble ourselves and turn from our wicked ways. Because actually, we were always the ones that were right and it was the others that needed to change. And we were praying that somehow God would change the others because we didn't really need change that much ourselves. If prayer is that kind of thing where we pray and leave it with God and walk away and wait for God to work and don't get involved in the prayer, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's what was going on in Luke chapter 9. I'm not sure that's what was going on through all those prayer moments of Jesus in the gospel or the prayer moments in the Acts of the Apostles. It seems that prayer is much more about 
listening and engaging and changing our perspective that we might become answers to the prayers. Think of the Lord's Prayer that we sang earlier. What does the Lord's Prayer do? The Lord's Prayer gives us perspective. Here is a creator God and he is our father and he is in control and we are his people and we get a different, we come to prayer and suddenly our perspective changes of what's going on in the world, who's in control of the world, where our place is in the world. That's all happening in just about 58 words in the Lord's Prayer. That's just the start. Then economics gets a bit of a going. Give us today our daily bread, enough for the day. Enough for everybody for the day. Suddenly we're getting the priorities of what we're asking for right. And then we're becoming forgivers. Because we're going to forgive as we've been forgiven. So suddenly in this prayer it's not about us naming names and leaving things with God. As we pray the Lord's Prayer. We find that the Lord's Prayer is something that God uses in our discipleship. In our spiritual formation. And equipping us to be those who will bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So in these 100 days of prayer for 100 years of history, I want to be changed. I want to gather here on a Friday morning, which we're going to do while the cafe's open out here, or what I would want to call us to do at 6.15 on a Sunday night before the evening service up in the minister's room. I invite you to come and pray each of those Sundays when we have a service here in Fitzroy. Um, I want to engage with God in such a way that he is going to give me new perspective. That he's going to help me to put priority and get my priorities right in what I'm asking him for. That he's going to cause me to need to be forgiven and need to be courageous enough to forgive others. I want to be changed in prayer. As much as I want God in some moments that I'm not able to interrupt, to interrupt on our behalf. But maybe we've got to a stage, and I say this sensitively, and I've wrestled with this over the last few days, maybe we've got to a stage where we think the work is the prayer. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. I think prayer is to find the power and the energy and the shaping and the honing to do the work. And sometimes when we make prayer the work, it gives us an easy way out rather than being discipled. And rather than, be, rather than who do you say that I am? You are the Christ. Well, if you want to come after me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If we're going to do that, God says, and that is the work, then we're going to need prayer. Because prayer is going to be that place for dramatic encounter where I am going to change you into the person that can do the following. So, until Pentecost Sunday, let's become involved. If you don't know about this, there is an app. Now, I think you don't even need to get the app downloaded. I go into the app now that's the, the second morning. It started at midnight on Saturday night, Friday night, Saturday morning, that kind of place. So I've had two days of this and it's come down onto my phone. So when I get up in the morning, there it is. I don't know whether somebody EA pressing a button at five to seven in the morning. I imagine they don't have to do that in this high tech time. But into my phone comes just a devotion based around this healing, honoring and hope and a short prayer. 
And I want to do that for the 100 days. And I want to encourage us as a community to do it for 100 days. This is our Lenten project. There are resources if you go into 100 days prayer. What we want to do is use these Fridays at the moment and Sunday nights uh, uh, to pray for those 100 days. And then over Easter week, we will have more concentrated times of prayer. We'll do something each night on these themes as we go towards uh, the passion of Christ. And I hope that that will spill out and that we'll find ourselves all involved in this dramatic encounter with God as we consider the year that we're in, a tense year. Philip's play on Thursday night, two days before it, I think, in the Derry, London Derry Council, there was a row over the psalm. Storm at House Rules on Thursday night was a very heated debate, dramatically written, that actually gave us a chance to listen to those two sides of the story that was not being done in one of our councils just a couple of days earlier. And what we need to do is we need to say, how did the past create who we are today? What do we need to learn from that? What is the churches do we need to repent from that? How do we need to be changed? And to do that in this place of prayer, this space of prayer, is I think a very powerful way to go about that. So are we up for it? We've had a Lent project for the last number of years. And this seems good because it's been written by very able people and set up for us that it can come straight on their phone. Let us as a congregation, as a community, engage yourselves with this prayer, not as an easy way out, but as a way for God to make us the healers, the honorers of the other, and those who breathe hope in our country. Let's be still for a moment. Lord, we thank you for this project and for those who are behind it and the work they've put into it. We pray that we as individuals in a congregation would dive into it, immerse ourselves in it, and learn about prayer, how to pray, how prayer changes us, that we might listen to you, that we might hear you, that we might be honed and shaped and energized by you to be those who would bring healing for our past, honor in our present, and hope for our future. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.